Welcome to the Flourishing Therapreneur Podcast, a podcast that equips therapists to thrive in business, expand their reach, and create flourishing and meaningful lives, both personally and professionally. I'm your host, Claire Blakey. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice. I believe in being a multi-passionate therapist. You can have a thriving, financially impactful business, be a leader in the community, and also a business entrepreneur. You don't have to choose and your impact as a clinician can go beyond the therapy room. I believe that you can be a therapist and an entrepreneur, a therapreneur, and I believe that every therapist deserves the tools, community, and resources to build thriving businesses and flourishing lives. I pair my passion and previous career in PR, marketing, and blogging with my education and experience as a clinician to equip therapists like you who are multi-passionate and wanting to pursue additional opportunities to grow your skill set and expand your reach. So what are we waiting for? Let's get going. Let's create impact and build flourishing lives and businesses we're proud of. Here we go. Season two of the Flourishing Therapreneur is brought to you by Thryzer. Thryzer provides therapists with an end-to-end, out-of-network billing support for their clients. Are you in private practice and want to support clients in getting reimbursed with their super bills and other out-of-network expenses, but don't have the bandwidth to do it alone? Look no further. Thryzer submits all of your insurance claims after every appointment to get faster reimbursement for your ideal clients. And even better, they handle all denials and slowdowns so that clients don't have to stress or contact insurance at all. The riser is affordable and seamless. It's absolutely free to sign up and the processing fee is only 3%. Partnering with Thryzer is an awesome way to make your private pay practice more accessible while positively improving your client experience, thus impacting your client retention and increasing your professionalism for your private practice. Better yet, The onboarding process is seamless and it's super easy to onboard clients and get started. So what are you waiting for? Check out the link in the show notes and use the code flourish to begin your three week free trial. Hi, Felicia, and welcome to the Flourishing Therapreneur Podcast. I am so glad you're here. If you want to take a moment and share with the audience just a little bit about who you are, your experiences and um, your education, that'd be helpful. Great. I am so excited to be here, Claire. I was thrilled when you asked me. I love that all these people out in the world, all these amazing therapists and coaches for therapists are making podcasts because I'm not. (laughs) And I love being on podcasts. So I'm always so grateful for the opportunity to come speak. So yeah, a little bit about me. My name is Felicia Keller-Boyle. I call myself the bad therapist because I am so, so done with the good therapist archetype. And And this is coming from like a goody goody two shoes therapist, which I'm happy to say more about. Um, but in terms of my education, I studied psychology in undergrad. I, well before that, when I was 13, is when I actually decided I wanted to be a therapist, and I am a very committed person. So that is exactly what I did. I went into undergrad, studied psychology, started working in the field as soon as I graduated, and then went to school, back to school in 2013 to get my master's degree from California Institute of Integral Studies in San Francisco and studied somatics, which was amazing. I was starting to practice somatics before I got into the program, before I knew it was even a thing when I was a drug counselor working in a methadone clinic. And I was, I I wouldn't have called it somatics at the time because I wasn't familiar with that term, but I was in fact 
incorporating somatic work into my uh, recovery, addiction recovery work with clients. So, so anyway, that's my education background. I started my private practice in San Francisco where I worked with mostly individuals, but also like quite a few couples. And I specialized again in addiction and then expanded into codependency, which is work I still really, really love and am passionate about and do trainings on. Um, so yeah, uh, in my practice, I also incorporated Buddhist psychology principles, recovery principles, and obviously somatic work. So that's that. Awesome. Well, that's helpful to kind of lay a foundation of just, yeah, your clinical experience, what brought you to the field. I love that you even have that, like when you were 13, you knew you wanted to be a therapist. Like that's really cool to, to have that kind of compass for so long of like, this is my goal is what I want to do. And then it sounds like you've done some really meaningful work with your clinical sites and then also in private practice. Yeah, absolutely. And so you can imagine how surprised I was after having known I wanted to be a therapist when I was 13, that I actually wanted to start doing something completely different, right? That I wanted to actually start coaching. So Mm -hmm. that's actually what I do right now. I coach therapists in private practice. And I also coach non-therapists as well, people who are, oftentimes they are therapists who have chosen not to pursue licensure and are still Mm -hmm. in the service business, but are providing a different type of healing work to various sorts of client populations. Um, So that's what I do now. I'm a business coach for therapists. And that was really born out of kind of looking at my my mom, who is uh, has run her own business my entire life. And she's a phenomenal, she's phenomenal at what she does. She was a great provider, but she was really, she was really a, um, what do you say? Sole proprietor. She was like a small business owner. She wasn't an entrepreneur. And so when I decided to start my business, I was like, I really want to approach it from the perspective of being an entrepreneur. I don't just want to get by. Mm -hmm. I don't just want to make ends meet. I want to have a really beautiful, thriving business. Um, And so I really set out to like educate myself and learn as much as I could about business. I took Mm -hmm. classes. I worked at a nonprofit that I was able to like not worked at, but I like attended and was a participant in one of their business um, programs. I read books, listened to podcasts, went to conferences, like did yeah. all of this self-education. And then my friends who were therapists were like, whoa, what are you doing? Like, can you yeah. help me? <laughs> so it started super organically. And as time went on, I just put more and more effort into being of service to therapists. And it's been so rewarding. I love it a lot. Oh, I love that. Cause I feel like a few things that I'm noticing as you're sharing is like, that piece of you having courage to be different, like whether, and I'm sure there's so much more we can get into it. What you said, like you refer to yourself as the bad therapist instead of the good therapist and like having the courage to like flip the script. And then also the piece of like, if you had dreamed of being a therapist for so long, I imagine that decision to go into more of the coaching Avenue, that was probably a big decision that you had to wrestle through and make sense of and have the courage to, you know, change your mind or to, let your the evolution happen of your career path and your giftings and what was speaking to you at that time. So I'm just really impressed with your ability to, um, to forge your own path and also to like take people along on that. Like I feel like as a business coach 
And especially for therapists, I feel like in our field, there isn't, I think, you know, my podcast has emerged and other, you know, endeavors have emerged from other therapists, but there really is such a need right now for business development, for skills, for um, really like learning, not just from someone that knows business, but someone that's a therapist that knows the world of therapy and business. Because I find that sometimes they kind of contradict. Sometimes the way that we show up as a business owner is actually doesn't feel like how I should be showing up as a therapist. And there's kind of this like in between that oftentimes I know I've experienced and I've heard other people experience too. So really admiring your ability to forge that path and to be of offering and of service to us in this episode and also for potential coaching. So that's awesome. Yes. I think you are so right. This this disconnect that a lot of therapists can feel between the clinical work and being a good therapist and also being a business owner. And I think that's why I've really leaned hard into being the bad therapist because I don't mean, I don't mean being like literally a bad therapist, like not doing your job well, like providing poor clinical work, being unreliable, like not actually caring about your clients. That is not at all what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is not compulsively being good because you are afraid of the consequences, which are um, other people, clients, other clinicians, supervisors being uncomfortable with your decisions, right? And so I find, I found it to be really useful to kind of play with the, like if we're feeling so trapped by like this good therapist conditioning, how can we actually play in this bad therapist energy as yeah just that Mm. it's like this playful space of that can actually begin to neutralize the the oppressiveness of the good therapist mantle and so Mm. what i found in mentoring and teaching so many other therapists is that when they allow themselves to be bad you know if i ask them what would a bad therapist do and it's like well bad therapist if i if i were a bad therapist i would raise my fees okay What else? If you were a bad therapist, what would you do? Well, I wouldn't work on the weekends. Great. What else? Well, if I were a bad therapist, you know, I really wouldn't have said yes to that client because I I could tell right at the beginning I really wasn't going to enjoy working with them. And so as we go Mm -hmm. through this series of questions, like if you were a bad therapist, what would you do? They actually just start to get clearer and clearer on what their desires and their boundaries are. And then when they actually take action in service of those desires and boundaries, what ends up happening is they turn out to be better clinicians. They turn out to be better spouses and parents. And I'm I'm not just saying Mm -hmm. this theoretically. This is what I've literally seen with the many therapists that I've mentored who are in all different circumstances in their lives, whether they're single or partnered, have children, don't have children. Um, are in all different parts of the country. What I consistently see when therapists ask themselves these questions and take radical action aligned with them is that their Mm. lives get better, that they, in fact, are more generous just in ways that they didn't expect, right? Yeah. Well, I also feel like there's that piece, too, of like getting, it sounds like very clear on the values piece of like, not just doing something because you were told that's what you need to do or that like that's the good therapist thing is to say yes to every client, to help everyone, like to compromise or to self-sacrifice, but to actually like get in alignment with really who you are and what life you want. And that's incredible that you've seen like that ripple effect with therapists as well. Um, I'm wondering, so when 
we kind of are thinking about the concepts of money, of business development, and just kind of this like pull of like being a therapist and growing a successful business. What have you noticed with the clients that you work with, the coaching clients or the therapists? What is the biggest difference um, in terms of success for therapists in private practice when they follow this model or when they, you know, lean into this um, framework? So there are so many different things that therapists, especially early in their practice, are considering, and it can be so overwhelming to know where to focus my energy because there's there can just feel like there's this endless list of like boxes you have to check and options in terms of marketing and like who do I even actually really want to work with? And it's just, there's just so much. So I think what really helps therapists be successful is if they can take it easy, a kind of easy does it mindset and being consistent. Because what I see a lot of people do is they see all the different things that they could do, the entire menu of things that they either could or have to do. And then they go, okay, great. I'm going to throw myself at it. They might be able to maintain that for a short period of time, but then Mm -hmm. they inevitably burn out or get overwhelmed, right? Yeah. So the biggest difference is the people who can chip away at that. And I think what really helps with that is having support in your business, is having someone that can kind of help draw you back in, being in community, because it's so easy, so, so, so easy when we're left to our own devices to just kind of spin out on some random idea, feel like that's what we've got to start doing and get completely distracted from the path yeah. that's before us, right? So, and to answer that question in a slightly different way, when it comes to all the different ways that therapists can say market their practices, because, because I want to be clear when you're running a practice, okay, never mind. I'm going to back up a second. Um, When you're running a practice, right, there are all these different areas of business. There's like the clinical piece Mm -hmm. of actually showing up for your clients. There's like the system pieces of how do I maintain my notes? How do I write those in a timely manner? What is my workflow like during my day? Then there's your finance. There's your marketing. There are all Mm -hmm. these different major aspects of business. And as therapists, we're often just like clinical work. And we're like, actually, there's a lot more going on. All right. (laughs) So in terms of marketing, though, the thing that I've seen be really, really effective for therapists is SEO. Hmm. And for people that don't know what that is, can can you define it? The search engine optimization um, is there a way that you can kind of like speak into what that is a little bit more? Just because I'm imagining some people that are listening, like I feel pretty familiar with it, but I I know that that wasn't always the case for me or even for other therapists that maybe don't know much about branding. What is SEO and why is that important? Yes, happy to talk about it. And I do want to say I'm not an expert in SEO, which is why I bring in experts on SEO into my <laughs> program. But yeah. because I have because I've done this, I can speak a little bit to what it is and why it's so, why it's one of the few strategies for therapists marketing their private practice that has such a high degree of success when done well. I think there's a Mm. lot of, I have the firm belief that any marketing strategy can work. What makes a marketing strategy not work is when people continue to switch tactics over and over and over again. That's what ultimately makes a marketing strategy not work. So I'm not saying that you cannot build a successful private practice only doing networking or only doing things on social media, right? These are both totally legitimate, wonderful strategies. But when it comes to like having the clearest line between point A to point B in terms of like getting clients, 
Mm. SEO is a really, really strong contender for a few very specific reasons. SEO is very competitive in some industries. Like some industries out there, their SEO game is like so good. So if you're kind Mm -hmm. of new on the block, it's going to be kind of hard for you to compete, right? You're going to have to have a lot of resources in order to compete with these other businesses. But in the world of therapy, we're not so great. We're not so great at SEO, which is kind of a good thing for those therapists who are willing to put some time and attention into the strategy because it actually doesn't take that much to stand out. Hmm. And when you stand out from the crowd just a little bit, you you will show up in those searches more and you will get more calls. And if you know how to have good sales calls, and yes, I am calling them sales calls instead of intake calls intentionally. That's very, very hmm. important. And Felicia five years ago would have totally been like, oh, gross, I hate this woman. But... Like, <laughs> I'm saying that very intentionally right now. If you can have uh, a really good sales call, then there's no reason why that client won't convert. Mm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You are like speaking into all these pieces. I'm like loving this. Okay. So that piece too of like encouragement to anyone listening that like, unfortunately, a lot of the therapeutic practices are kind of outdated, or maybe there is a lot of room for growth for therapists in terms of marketing and SEO. So that's actually like a very kind invitation to anyone listening to be like, you don't have to be perfect at this. You can imperfectly messily pursue action. And even your imperfect action is going to still set you further ahead than most of the other therapists that aren't choosing to take any action or aren't choosing to watch any YouTube videos on SEO or, you know, things like that. So that actually feels really approachable. That feels like not scary in a way that sometimes marketing techniques and ideas feel kind of overwhelming, right? Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you said that, like, especially the piece about doing it imperfectly. So that is the other thing that's really crucial about marketing. Like I'm here saying like SEO is a great strategy, but if you hear me say this and you're immediately like, Felicia, oh my God, SEO is so overwhelming for me. I can't even imagine doing that. I would say, great. What can you imagine doing? Let's start Mm. there and let's help you build consistency and depth with that strategy So you can build that self-trust and that muscle of, I know how to show up for my business. And then that will become the foundation and we will build on top of that. Because I would much, much, much rather have you get started, build that consistency than be like, the perfect thing to do is SEO and the best thing to do is 10 hours a week of like contributing to that. And if you're not going to do that and as a result, you're going to feel so like, discouraged and tired and you're not going to get yourself to do it, then that is not a great strategy for you. I would rather have you do something that you can do and build on that because the best marketing strategy for you is the one that you're actually going to show up for. Yes, I fully agree. And I think there's also that piece too of like the one that you show up for and that you're good at, but like also the importance of, and I especially feel like this right now in a season of you know, our digital footprint being everywhere of like so many different types of social media platforms, so many different ways to, to get potential clients that can feel really overwhelming. And I think there's that piece too, of like the importance of tracking, like how do your sales convert? So if what's working for you is Instagram, pour your energy into Instagram. If it's not working to do other things that are taking hours and hours of your time each week, 
and that's not even producing any clients, maybe that's not worth pursuing. Like maybe it's better to put your time where the money is or put your time where the impact is um, instead of like telling yourself you need to pursue every single digital platform and outlet and option because that, that's exhausting and that feels, um, I don't know, it doesn't, it doesn't produce creativity and inspiration. It definitely, it feels like a to-do list thing. Right. And at that point, you kind of have to ask yourself, like, am I really doing this to have an impact or is this like an ego thing? So I can check out some box and be yeah. like, I'm on TikTok and Instagram and an email list and SEO and I write blogs. It's yeah. like, if you can actually do all those things and they're getting you results, great. But one of the things that I've been taught by the people that I learned from and that I'm so happy to pass along to other people is that rather than going more broad with your strategies, go deeper with the ones you've already got. If you're doing Instagram and that's going well for you and your strategy has been all post once a week and you're connecting with people and blah, 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 all that's happening. I would not suggest now go be on TikTok. I would say go deeper with that. Like, okay, great. You've been showing up once a week. Can we make that two times a week? Can we get you interacting with people more on that platform? Could we get you building relationships more there rather than like just dogpiling all these things on? So always deeper before broader. Ooh, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say like, like does that technique, because I want to ask you another question in terms of like, how you grew in your confidence and how you grew in your consistency with showing up in the digital space with marketing. So like, would you say that that technique has helped you like go from like not hating it to loving it? Or like, what, what would you say? Like, cause I feel like for some of us, like it feels like an additional piece of our job. Cause it is, it's like, as you build a business, it is. this is another role that a lot of companies hire a director of social media or a director of communications. And so how, I feel like my, my question is very long-winded, but how did you go from like hating marketing or not enjoying it and feeling confident to like feeling confident in your strategies and in these concepts that you're sharing? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to lie and say that I feel confident every day because that's 100% not the case. I mean, the honest mm. truth is being on social media can be really rough. Like you are basically constantly confronted with your and I, I want to say, like, I don't fully mean this, but like your competitors, right? And so mm -hmm. it's so easy to compare yourself to the other people out there. So, and I can say more about different ways of dealing with that. But in terms mm -hmm. of like my own journey and how I went from being super, super resistant to marketing to now being like a big fan and actually being really passionate about empowering therapists to do this, I can definitely speak to that. Um, well, I think the first big change that I had to get on board with is that I'm running a business. And I think as a, as a good therapist for the longest time, I was just in it to quote unquote help people. And if that's your only goal and you're kind of living in a fantasy world where you're trying to pretend that money doesn't matter and it doesn't have consequences and somehow you could run a business, but like not actually be, uh, have your feet on the ground when it comes to like the financial implications of that, like mm -hmm. that I had to really come to grips with that. I had to really understand that I was running a business and to honor that fact and to stop acting like that was something like dirty or bad or wrong. 
to have a business. And I think so, so many therapists have that association with business. It's like business is gross. It's bad. People who do that are yucky. I don't want to be one of them. I'm just here to help people. See? And like, that's kind of the, (laughs) that's kind of the end of it. And really we're shooting ourselves in the foot. So my perspective Mm. is I'm not gonna go run off into the mountain anytime soon. Like that has been a fantasy of mine for a long, long time. I'll go live off the grid. I'll make my own clothes. I'll grow my own food. I'll like live outside of the realm of like money and capitalism. But you know what? I am 35 years old and I have yet to do that. So it's probably not gonna happen, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I have to deal with the consequences of being in this world. And so what I decided years ago is that as long as I'm going to be in this world, If I'm going to participate in this economic system, I want to do it with my eyes wide open. And I want to learn as much Mm. as I possibly can about finances in this country so that I can make the most wise and value-aligned decisions I can make because I'm not going off into the mountains. So I have to deal with the reality of that choice and stop hiding behind the fantasy that someday I'm just going to walk away from it all because that's not what's happening. And so there was this way that I was sort of like attempting to hold myself apart from reality and Mm. and not not deal with the consequences of my decisions or really lack thereof that were like piling up over the years. You know what I'm saying? And so that was like the first really big change before I could even touch, okay, now what does it mean when it comes to marketing? I had to get on board with the fact that business didn't have to be gross or yucky and that I was allowed to grow and learn and make mistakes and discover what kind of a business person I wanted to be. How do I want to participate in this economic system? Is there a way for me to do it differently? Can I let go of perfectionism around like having to do every right thing and save the world and change this whole economic system on my own and just (laughs) do my best? Like just take the pressure off myself and allow myself to do my best. That was huge. And this absolute same mentality applies to marketing. Can I take the pressure off myself to be like the best person on Instagram and have like an email list that like always has great newsletters? No way. Like, can I just keep it simple and show up for something super basic for a really long time? And then of course it's going to get better as I keep on doing it. Like it just will. Felicia, there is so much freedom in like what you're saying. And I can, I am like learning from you right now and feeling encouraged. And I can imagine people that are listening are feeling the same where we need more people saying what you're saying of like, mm-hmm. you don't need to be a perfect therapist. You should make mistakes. You should make messy action. You should um, allow yourself to, you know, enter that arena. And I'm just, yeah, I'm really resonating with what you're sharing. <laughs> Oh, I'm so So I'm wondering, like, what would you say? Because this concept of a bad therapist and this concept of a good therapist, it's relatable, right? Like, I think most therapists that are listening can relate to either learning it in grad school, from clinical supervisors, from mentors, people telling them, you know, this is what a therapist does. This is why you do it. You know, you need to help other people. Like, what's up with, like, the bad therapist concept and how did you come up with that? I know you kind of spoke about it a little bit at the beginning, but I want to better understand it. Yeah. So I 
like, I love this term. I'm sure there are going to be days when it bites me in the ass and I'm like already envisioning headlines where it's like, bad therapist is actually bad. You know what I mean? Oh, no. (laughs) But I'm like, whatever, bring it on. Like, I have to take a stand. Like, it makes so much sense to me. Um, So, I mean, it comes from a lot of different places. It comes from this... um, hmm. Well, in some ways, it comes from the BDSM community. In some ways, it Mm -hmm. comes from a version of that, if I were a bad therapist, I would question. That comes from um, a teacher named, forgive me if I get her name wrong, but I believe it's Kasia Urbanayak. And she has Mm -hmm. a game that uses the question, if I were a bad girl, Uh, I would, blah, 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 blah. And this type of question is designed to kind of like bypass all of our, bypass our ego that wants us to be good and stay in line and not, you know, Mm -hmm. ruffle any feathers. This question allows you to kind of get behind the ego. It's like, okay, okay, sure ego. But if if I were a bad therapist, then what Mm -hmm. would I do? And it's like, well, okay, well, if I were, if I were technically, which I'm not, but if I were, I would do this. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. Unless you answer it or speak into it in a way that maybe your ego would protect you from. Yeah, exactly. Like normally the ego is going to, you're going to, could you imagine you're like, okay, well, I want to raise my fee. It's like, oh, but what if my clients don't like that? Or what if, yeah. oh my gosh, my my supervisor isn't even charging that much. I couldn't charge that much. Or like, yeah, I've yeah. never heard of a therapist charging that kind of money or I want to work with just these people because they're so fun. But what about all the other people who I would be saying no to? And it's like, okay, okay. But if you were like a bad, if you were just a, if you were a bad therapist, evil, cruel, selfish, didn't really care, then what? It's like, okay, well, if I were like the worst therapist in the entire world, I guess I would specialize in this and I wouldn't feel guilty about it. It's like, great, cool. Like now can we ask if that's actually that bad or just like you doing what you want to do. Yeah. I love that. That really kind of like gives a different way of viewing it and framing it. And um, yeah, like just reimagining how we view our ourselves as a therapist and also as a business owner. Um, I'm wondering, because I know part of what we wanted to talk about today was money. And I feel really always encouraged by some of the posts that you post on social media or the ways that you show up when you talk about money. And so what helped you get comfortable talking about money? Like what changed for you from, you mentioned the Felicia five years ago would be like, why is this person talking? Like what, what, what changed for you? How have you grown and how can people that are listening just absorb some of that wisdom? Yeah. I mean, it truly has been like many, many years in the making. I think I probably started on this journey with money, like somewhere between five to seven years ago. And again, I think I think a lot of it had to do with getting older. Like I said, I'm 35 and just kind of noticing that I was in a very, very different place financially than a lot of my friends, mm. uh, a lot of my peers who I grew up with. Like I'm I have like the same friends today that I had since I was like 13 years old. Like literally, mm, that's, that's not amazing. an exaggeration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, they're buying homes and I have no idea. Like, I can't even envision that process, right? Like, what is going on mm-hmm. here? And it wasn't just about, like, 
not being able to have access to some of the things I wanted to access. It was just like the whole idea of seeing myself as somebody who who like lived in poverty, which was part of my childhood. So it like it wasn't just a part of adulthood and like the ramifications of going to grad school. Like that's been something that's been a part of my story for a long time. And I just knew that I wanted to change that, you know, I definitely Mm -hmm. wanted to change that. So that was a part of the journey around, yeah, getting more comfortable with money was just recognizing like all these, all these years of not caring about money. And I'm, you can't see me, but I'm putting that in air quotes, like not caring about (laughs) money has a lot of consequences. And I began to be willing to consider that I might still be able to be a good person and have access to money. Like, what would it look like if I Mm. could be approving of myself, know that I was living according to my own values and have access to money? Is that, is that possible? Is all, all these beliefs that I had growing up about wealthy people being out of touch, being evil, you know, does that have to be true? Am I, again, am I willing Mm. to let myself find out and to see if I might be able to be a person that I would approve of and have access Mm -hmm. to wealth, right? So yeah, I mean, a lot of the things that I just started doing was like, I was talking about money. I was looking for resources. I was having conversations with my friends. I was Mm -hmm. looking for like anything I could get my hands on truly. Like there was like a women's spirituality and money conference and I like applied for a scholarship so I could go to that. I was picking up Mm -hmm. books. I was listening to podcasts about money. I found this person in the Bay Area called The Money Witch, who is amazing, and you all should check her out. Her name is Jessie Susanna, and I love her. Um, Hi, Jessie, if you happen to listen to this. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I was just like hungry for information because I was like, okay, fantasy is over, not going to the mountains. How can I be the most responsible version of myself in this current moment in time? Like, no more hiding. How can I take full, full responsibility for my experience here and stop pretending that I get to just um, tap out of this reality? Like, I don't have to participate, you yeah. know? Like, how can I really, really take responsibility for my part in this instead of pretending that I get to opt out of that situation altogether, which in a way is harmful. It's, yeah. It is delusional to think that I get to opt out. It's just Mm. frankly untrue. So as long as I'm going to be here, how do I take responsibility for my part? Mm. That really resonates. And I think there's also that piece that kind of is coming to my mind of like, oftentimes you hear that cliche of like therapists need to do the work as well of like their own personal work and growth. And it feels like that should also be applied to like, when it comes to deciding you're going to start a private practice or decide you're going to be a business owner, you need to do the work. You need to do that like 100%. inner growth, inner reflection of like, you know, what what life lessons have shaped me negatively or positively or what things do I need to let go of or what things do I need to reformat or re, you know, teach myself and reparent myself in, in finances, in business development. And so that's, yeah, really encouraging to hear. Um, and I'm sure people can relate to that because I feel like there's even that piece that you spoke to of like your friend group being at a different spot than you. And I know I've seen that even for myself. Like I live in Santa Barbara where the cheapest Mm -hmm. house is like a million dollars and you know, things like that, where it's like, 
Yeah. Like there is this like mindset, money mindset shift that does happen. And especially as with people that take out student loans and all those oh moving pieces and working for free in your clinical hours, like there's just a lot of money stuff. So I appreciate you kind of even naming that piece that's relatable too. Um, I want to be cognizant of our time. I know we're kind of wrapping up, but there is something that you have said that I don't quite understand. And I hope that you can clarify this for me. Um, I've heard you say to therapists that you don't deserve to get paid well. And did I hear you right? Or what What do you mean by that? Yes, you did hear me right. And I know that's like, a, like so not expected for me to say. But yeah, I truly mean it. Like therapists do not deserve to get paid well. I think this idea of worthiness that is really popular in the kind of like self-help, like growth stuff, mm-hmm. it, it seems really great, especially when we've like decided that we're worthy when we've like made that transition from oh I'm not worthy to I'm worthy it feels amazing we're like yeah I deserve it but the moment that gets threatened or questioned or poked at it sends us back into that place of like wait a minute but do I deserve it and also what does Mm -hmm. deserving even mean like if someone's deserving of something that's good then the truth would have to be that we also deserve bad things and that is just not something I want to buy into. Like Mm. people don't deserve, it's not like we deserve to get paid well and other people deserve to get paid poorly. Like what kind of ideology is that? But instead, again, going back to that idea of taking radical responsibility, Mm. it's not about deserving to get paid well or not. It's about deciding that I get to be paid well. So therapists get to be paid well. They don't deserve it or not deserve it. You don't go from being not deserving to being suddenly deserving just because you decided it. You've always deserved to get paid well. Why the hell not? And that's why I like to throw out that concept altogether just because I think it's just, it doesn't make sense. It's not, it's not like an accurate description of reality. Instead, Therapists get to be paid well. Now, how are you going to take action that makes that so? Like, what are you going to do about it, right? Mm. Rather than arguing with yourself about whether or not you deserve it, what are you going to do to make it happen? Let's get real about it. Mm. Does that make sense? Oh, yes, it really does. (laughs) Um, And I think that also kind of gives permission in a certain sense, like by letting go of that like thought process of deserving or not deserving that feels conditional. That feels like you're putting other people down for your success. It feels icky. It kind of has that same like good therapist vibe. You know what I mean? Like it has that like flavor of, you know, if you do this right, then you're this way. And that doesn't feel healing or helpful or nourishing of building your confidence or um, I love how you picked that word too, deciding, like deciding that you you know, want a fee that you deserve. Ah, I can't stop saying deserve. Right. So that wrong. But <laughs> I know saying, it's so um, hard. Yeah, but just really leaning into that piece of choosing and choosing to to right. take that change and to implement that in your practice. It's a life work, truly. Kind of like what you were saying about childhood and then to today. Uh, a yeah. lot of deep, deep nuggets. Yeah, totally. Um, But yeah, one of the things I want to add about deserving is like something that can happen is we can almost make a case for a deservingness 
Like I've been through hard things, therefore I deserve this. Or I've paid my dues, therefore I deserve this. And so what happens is like that moment where we become deserving is like so subjective, right? Mm-hmm. And we'll do yeah. this thing, and I know I've done it, where I, I somehow decide to make myself deserving because I've tallied up all the hard things that have happened. But then as soon as I'm confronted with somebody who's had more hard experiences than I have, then suddenly I'm no longer deserving. Mm-hmm. It knocks me out of that deserving place. And it puts us in like, it's almost like trauma competition. Yeah, it kind of and is. I, and Great way of saying yeah. it. <laughs> And I noticed that whenever I feel compelled to start like listing my various um, personal tragedies, I'm like, oh, ew, stop. Like, this is not a competition. (laughs) Felicia, you get to want this just because it's okay to want this. You don't have to, Mm -hmm. you don't have to validate the fact that you want this by, by saying, but, but I've suffered before. So here I should get to have that thing. And by no means am I, I'm trying to tell people don't talk about your suffering. Don't talk about your story. 100% not like not my point, but I'm just recognizing that for myself, that's often associated with feeling like I somehow have to justify my desires. Right. Mm. And instead, again, instead, can I just say, you know, I want this. I would like to have this. Am I willing to do what it takes to take responsibility for that? and do do what is on my side of the street while letting go of the many, many factors that I don't have control over, right? Wow. And then when we're running therapist, mm-hmm. therapy practices, that looks like us doing things like setting our fees, setting our working hours, deciding who we will and won't work with. Like that's our responsibility. It's not our potential client's responsibility, it's ours. So how can I take mm-hmm. responsibility for that part of it and really release control over all the other parts that I don't have control of? If I want to practice that is anti-racist, what am I going to do to make that so, right? Mm-hmm. What's my part of that? Like, if that's a value of mine, what am I going to do to make it so, right? So mm-hmm. I, one of the core features of what I try to teach therapists, what I do teach therapists, is how to take radical responsibility for themselves. Stop playing in fantasy land, although I do a lot of, like, <laughs> that's really funny because I actually do a lot of mindset work around, like, future bragging and affirmations and all of that. <laughs> But you can see there's kind of like this balanced approach of like getting your feet on the ground, firmly planted in reality and being open to like endless possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Felicia, I feel like we could keep talking forever. I'm cognizant of the time. I know we need to wrap up, but I am very grateful that you took the time to to share with me and the audience just your lived experiences, your money mindset shift, your shift on what it means to be a therapist and to really question some of the philosophies and concepts that we've you know, taken on. Um, so I appreciate you taking the time. I'm curious for anyone else that's listening, how can they follow along with you? How can they, um, you know, whether it's individual coaching, whether it's your program as you enroll for future programs, um, how can they connect with you? And I'll also plug this into the show notes as well. Yeah, thank you so much for asking. So uh, the third round of Liberated Business just got started as of the recording of this podcast, and it's still totally possible to sneak in. I know the boss. She is a lovely person, so I can always just talk to her. <laughs> All you need to do is DM me or send me an email, and we'll make sure that like my handles and email address are in the show notes. Um, it's just a wonderful program, and you can find out all about it on my website. Um, I'm also on Instagram. I'm there very frequently. You can find me at The Bad Therapist. I just updated my handle to like fully officially take on my name. Um, So it's a great place to connect with me. Yeah, it's so fun. 
And I have some spots open for a few individual private uh, mentorship and business coaching clients, which I just love to do. You get so much support from me. We have a private uh, voice memo and text channel. So it's like I'm in your back pocket. You can reach out to me like literally anytime. And it's just so fun. My clients all over the country have had amazing results. So I would love to have a few more one-on-one clients. That would be a blast for me. So if you're interested, hit me up. Awesome. Well, thank you, Felicia. I really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll have you back on the episode again soon. Oh my God. I would love that. Thank you so much, Claire. Hi, Flourishing Therapreneurs. I wanted to hop on and share that our course Flourishing in Private Practice is coming spring 2022. If you are a pre-licensed student, trainee, associate, or even a licensed therapist that perhaps is either wanting to learn more about strengthening your private practice or curious to take the leap from agency to being your own boss, this course will walk you through all the steps from the basics of setting up your business structure, creating your brand, building your reputation in the field, and strengthening your systems to help your business flourish. This course is filled to the brim with tangible examples, templates, and structure to help your business thrive and for you to grow and flourish personally and professionally. This course will be open for enrollment for two weeks in the spring, and then we'll close until the fall for a second round of enrollment. If this is you and you are wanting in, go to our website at theflourishingtherapreneur.com to join our mailing list and to be the first to know when the doors open. We also have a free download on our website called 10 Steps to Starting a Private Practice, available for you today. So if you're wanting to get started sooner or dip your feet into the idea, don't wait another moment. All right, enjoy the episode and looking forward to continuing to grow and flourish together as therapists and entrepreneurs, as therapreneurs. Let's go. Thank you for tuning in to the Flourishing Therapreneur Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review as that helps other clinicians and therapreneurs find our community and thrive through our offerings. Want to take your business a step further? Visit theflourishingtherapreneur.com or our Instagram with the same handle. Connect with our free community or sign up for an upcoming course to help cultivate your thriving business and endeavors so you can flourish personally and professionally. Until next time, I'm your host, Claire Blakey, and I believe you deserve to flourish as a therapreneur.